0: Good evening, good morning, depending on where you are. Welcome to The Daily Cyber. Today I have a special guest, Mike Milo from Life Labs. He's the CISO and security expert. I'm gonna read a little bit of his bio here. He's got a long bio, which is awesome here. Uh, Mike, Milo's, uh, Mike Milo is a award-winning, experienced cybersecurity leader and technology advisor who is the current CISO at Life Labs Medical Laboratory Services. Milo is well-respected for his security thought leadership, uh, risk analysis management abilities, technical knowledge, problem-solving skills, and sound decision-making capabilities. Uh, Milo enjoys mentoring CISOs, CIOs and senior executives to further develop the alignment of security programs and business outcomes. Milo is a part of the Toronto and and uh CISO governing body and contributes in a leadership capacity of quarterly gathering, including uh, talking panels and uh, individual presenters. Milo presents uh, talks and presentations at other various security industry meetups uh, and conferences such as C3X, Sheridan College Information Security Forum, Task, various CISO advisory boards, uh, Secure CISO, Secure uh, Sector, Black Hat, uh, RSA, or R. RSAC. Milo uh, was recently published in Toggle Magazine Fall Edition 2022, recognizes the leadership and capabilities in the cybersecurity industry. Milo was also awarded CISO of the year in 2022 by Cyber Exchange. So you can see a lot of wealth of knowledge and expertise here. So guys, get ready, get all your questions ready. Uh, We're going to have a lot of great uh, conversation about cybersecurity, what's going on with the industry. So grab a coffee and grab a tea and let's hack at it awesome awesome let me bring milo in here hey milo how's it going mike milo the expert in life labs and cyber security how are you Hey, I'm, do, I'm doing well, Brendan. Thanks for having me.
1: It's, uh it, it, you had it right the first time. It's actually mellow, like jello. Mellow?
0: Is it mellow? Okay. Sorry about yeah. that. So good, yeah, because I didn't know if M-E-L-L-O would be mellow, and this would be like mellow.
1: It's all good. It's It's been a lifelong challenge.
0: Uh People yeah, trying, trying to spell mellow.
1: my name, say my name. It's all good.
0: Awesome. So how have you been through the pandemic?
1: Uh, doing pretty good. Um you know it's uh, had some downs you know it's uh wife and i actually had our first child at the beginning of the pandemic so that's been fantastic she's been kind of the saving grace for mental sanity through all of this um you know uh life's good works good it's you know working in healthcare industry during the pandemic has uh, had its challenges for sure uh, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, I think every industry has really had their their fair share of challenges through this, this pandemic. And, you know, but I think that we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, things are moving in the right direction.
0: Now, everything that you're seeing on your side, because I mean, you're in the health industry, you're seeing kind of the vaccine protocols, and things are going on along that line, you're seeing kind of the testing, how is it affecting cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, so great, great question. You know, I'd say, Probably the one of the one of the biggest challenges there is around uh, agility. Um, so normally, you know, I'd say our cybersecurity governance requirements are pretty rigorous, um, and you know, healthcare companies are not synonymous with being very agile when it comes to those types of things. So that was one thing that we really had to strive for was this new agility model. On you know, how do we ensure that all our governance practices and protocols and our procedures and policies are being followed uh, adequately for? You know this new demand of COVID testing uh, because we are, we're you know the largest laboratory company um, in Canada, uh, Life Labs, and you know we've been one of the front frontline leaders in doing covid testing uh for canadians across uh, across the country so it it's definitely you know there's been a a bit of a state of flux in the healthcare industry you know there's always new demands new challenges uh trying to get the economy you know reopened up uh you know safe travel safe work so it's definitely put a strain on I'd say most organizations, but in cybersecurity specifically, I'd say the big focus is you know how do you stay agile enough to ensure that you know anytime we're releasing new product development or uh, new commercial opportunities that you know we're we're ensuring that the right risks are being addressed, uh, especially as it relates to you know the supply chain itself. Uh, that's been you know a big hot topic over the past, you know, 6 months ever since the solar winds breach and you know it's 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 never been easy uh at any given time but definitely in the in the days of covid it's it's been challenging that way.
0: Now, as an expert like in the field for so long, what's your recommendation when you look at like the supply chain, how to protect that?
1: Yeah, you know, I I'd say it's it's interesting, right? Like so there's there's not really you know, really like a standard framework, you know, you have the one out of nist uh you know i think there's some really good recommendations and and best practices in in that space you know i think you know everybody has their own certain approach you know our 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 definite approach is you know you, you know what what supply chain uh providers are part of your core critical infrastructure, right? Like you, you have potentially hundreds, if not thousands of vendors in your supply chain. Uh, you know, one, of, one of the key focuses for us is you know, which, which one of those has actual access to our infrastructure for support requirements or anything along those lines. Uh, and then also, you know, which ones, um, you know, how do we look at security protocols as they relate to the technologies that we leverage from these various vendors? Uh, you know, there's also other different types of supply chain risk uh, as it relates to PPE, right? When we saw the PPE shortages, uh, early days of COVID, you know, that was a, a, an extreme struggle. I think, you know, there was a larger calling for government and uh, organizations to really look at, you know, what what can be outsourced, what has to still be insourced, you know, in country and, and really how do you continue to operate you know, during times of crisis. So I I think it really kind of opened the playbooks for crisis management and just, you know, business continuity protocols. Uh, I'd say for us, you know, one of the biggest things around it is we've we've implemented a very robust and mature third-party risk management program uh, partnered, uh, you know, with a service provider to do that. Uh, because it's just it, it is a lot of work it is a lot of governance in order to do that uh, you know mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of great technology out there that provides you know these risk scoring metrics but I think it's its a little bit more than just a technology situation right? you need to understand the how the vendor themselves actually fits into your portfolio mm-hmm. what are the criteria that you're trying to solve for and uh, again really you have to prioritize it right it's can't boil the ocean it's it's too big of a problem to, you know, address it overnight. So it's really, you know, where are your biggest rips, risks and gaps?
0: Now you implemented, and I know this is a, you know, a hot term that everyone's using The zero trust now. Like you don't trust anyone. You don't trust your vendors. You don't trust your suppliers. You don't trust your mom. Like don't trust anyone, no matter who they are. Just don't trust them. Is that something that you guys are working with right now because of, you know, the supply chain and everything that's going on?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd say that there's been this uh, common adage always said, you know, uh, trust, but verify. And it's really transitioning to don't trust and verify. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, the level of implicit trust that companies give to organizations, uh, you know, don't wanna say any big names, but you know, big companies generally, SaaS vendors or anything like this, you know, they're generally trusted because well, they're they're too big uh, to be a problem, right? They're too big. They have so much money invested in cybersecurity Uh, and just what they do Uh, but you know the again you know one of the common issues with the industry is that there's no such thing as is unhackable or unbreachable Um, you know so I think that that just needs to be you know level set across the entire industry no nobody's too big to be hacked or too small it's it's a problem for everybody Uh, you know we're all in it together but but really at the end of the day if if you're addressing these challenges um, you know, you're you're going to be kind of left hanging out there, and in, you know, even you might not even know what's going on, right? And that's the other challenge around breach identification: is do you have the visibility to even determine whether or not you have been breached, right? We saw that with the Solar Winds issue, um, right? You know, that that had been like uh, an ongoing event for some time, and it was you know later discovered, right? And that seems to be you know one of the key things that we're trying to combat in the industry is you know how do we get rid of this dwell time? How do we ensure we have the appropriate level of visibility uh, to be able to monitor, detect, respond, and, and remediate these these types of threats.
0: Now, with that being said, like you hear, kind of all the statistics, like the you know hackers been in most environments before breach is actually recognized around six months, right? Six months from now, you you have this expertise, you know, breach response. to yeah. That is that pretty accurate, or is it longer, or is it shorter? What do you think?
1: Yeah, so I think it, it really depends, right? And every breach is is very unique. And it also depends on what kind of technology you have in, in place and the different types of process, how much investment's been in the organization. You know, with I think new technologies like EDR, uh, your endpoint detection response, a lot of the managed detection response capabilities that these you know companies are providing now moving away from your traditional sock SIM environment, I think you have a lot better chance at identifying these uh, more sophisticated behavioral type attacks that wouldn't necessarily have been caught um, with the traditional SIM model. So I'd say that absolutely, there's still going to be a lot of people, you know, seeing significant amount of dwell time uh, just because they just don't have the technology to see it. Right. It, It is expensive. It does take quite a considerable amount of investment. I think, you know, they were forecasting uh, in, in incredible amounts of money—billions—being uh, spent in cybersecurity year over year uh, globally, and and it's not slowing down, right? So it's um, it's definitely a problem, but I think a lot of companies are starting to catch up with it and and really start, you know, implementing the right technology and tools that will give you that visibility to address that dwell time.
0: All right. Perfect. Now, just let you guys know, everyone that's watching, if you guys have any questions, please be. Ask your questions now, make sure that, you know, you get all your cybersecurity questions from breaking into the industry to technology, whatever that may be. Mike's here to answer all your questions. So Mike, what should we be looking at in this year in 2021 because of the pandemic? What should we be focusing on?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of carryover uh, from last year, right? Like it's it's still pretty fresh to everybody. I think the biggest shock was, you know, when the pandemic hit, what does everyone do right we, we can't physically go to an office for most people uh i think there was this balance of organizations just trying to get their feet solidified in this new operating model and so remote access has been a challenge for a long time and, and a lot of companies have been trying to move towards more cloud-focused uh, work workloads and you know traditional vpn infrastructure just just really isn't Providing what we need these days, because you know, backhauling all your traffic into your core uh, and then piping that back out the internet, you know, it's it's a lot of lag time, and it's and it's hard on our our telco infrastructure too, right? The tel telecommunications industry wasn't ready for this type of, you know, bandwidth ramp up where everybody's working from home. Uh, it's really changed that paradigm. So I think that there's there's definitely a and you referenced it earlier around this zero trust access model, right? You know, traditional VPN infrastructure allowed you to uh, gain access to the entire network or, you know, a segment of that network, whereas, you know, this zero trust remote access model, um, usually coming through these different SASE providers out there, like, you know, your uh, uh, Netscopes and Zscalers and Palo Altos, they, you know, allow kind of this application level access. So if you need access to just this one application based on this port, you know, this is all the the access you're getting. Uh, It's monitored, you know, you push that through a PAM tool or something like that and you have, you know, great administrative level um, assurance as well around all of that. So I'd say again, the big focus is going to be around how do you ensure that you are providing secure access and, a good user experience so one of the things that we always forget about is security is we go back to that core triad right that cia triad availability is so critical um you know obviously if 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 it takes you're only getting like one meg throughput to, to access your um you know your core infrastructure that's not very usable right it's not very available to your end users so i think one of the focuses here this year is you know we've always done a really good job at um you know making great technology decisions and, and implementing technologies. But it's we have to ensure that we're also aligned with the business and the user experience. All
0: right. No, that makes sense. So we've got some questions coming in already. Um, yeah. uh, we're talking, uh, will taking a cybersecurity boot camp be worth it for someone that has little to no experience with it? What's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think boot camps are great in a sense that you know, you really get this big data dump of information. Um, you know, I think it saves you a lot of time and having to source this information over years and years. Uh, however, it's, you know, doing a boot camp, like a five day boot camp or something, and writing a certification, you know, a week later is probably not going to be as advantageous for you. If you took the boot camp, you know, spent a month or a couple months, uh, really absorbing that material, trying to apply that to practice. I don't know whether that be through your day-to-day uh, work experience or even through a lab environment, depending on what kind of um, boot camp it is, if it's technology based, you know, there's great lab tools out there like Boson and or and whatnot. So, you know, I'd say that they definitely serve a purpose. You just have to know what is the context and the outcome you're really trying to achieve with that boot camp.
0: Now education, experience which one do you weigh like just certification boot camps versus like hands on keyboard what would you weigh is more
1: yeah so it's it's an interesting question it because it depends there's obviously always context and you know what what it depends on but you know sure. i'd say in certain situations it also you know here's a couple of criteria on what it, what it depends on right first what kind of level of job you have two Um, What type of job do you have? Is it more technical? Is it maybe more governance, Uh, right? If you look at things that are more governance, risk compliance driven, it's more theoretical, um, more textbook driven. If you're doing, you know, firewall configurations and more technical configuration applications, you know, that hands-on experience is going to get you far and beyond what you really need to be at because you can be as, you know, well well uh, advised from a textbook, but when you go to put hands on keyboard, things can go really wrong really fast. And if you're applying this in a live environment, uh, you know, things can go really bad. <laughs> um, and, and you kind of get that 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 truck beep backing up over you saying, oh, you, <laughs> you did something wrong there. Um, so again, I think it applies. It's great to have the experience. It's great to have the education. I don't think one is better than the other. I think they both have their validity in each and every different circumstance. So, uh, for me, you know, I was a big, um, you know, fan of knowledge. I did certifications and studying, uh, you know, kind of in the early days of when I was getting into the industry. And I felt that that really helped me want this uh, kind of achieve this sense of curiosity. And I just wanted to learn more. I wanted to do more. Uh, So then it really, you know, kind of tailored my my path forward in cybersecurity as to, you know, what, what did I really want to focus on? And it led me down the path of where I needed to get my experience. Right. So that's also another great thing that, you know, education provides to you is that if you don't know what you don't know, how are you going to build your path forward? Right. But if you have a better sense of, oh, I like this or, you know, I understand this. uh, This intrigues me. This is where I want my experience to go. because it's always a big question, you know, how do I get in the industry? Where do I start? And there's so many different um, answers to that question. I think it's really, you know, just get your feet wet, pick up a book, um, video or something on cybersecurity and, and just figure out, you know, what interests you about it.
0: Right. A lot of times when we're talking to these guys in the community, it's like start with, you know, an entry level certification like Security Plus, right? Get your feet wet, spend 30, 60, even 90 days, study it, get in. At least it gives you a broad base, right? At least you kind of touch a little bit of, you know, social engineering, you know, what's, you know, compliance, policies, you know, different things, pen testing. At least you get a little bit of a broad area and then you can kind of go, I don't like that. I like this. I don't like that. I like that. And then it kind of narrows you down a little bit, Right. And then from there, of course, a lot of people, as they go up to senior level, Security Plus goes in the back door. But, you know, as you start to grow out, at least it gives you an idea of, okay, this is the industry as a whole. Right.
1: Yeah, for me, I always felt more. Intrigued by the technical certifications out of the gate, um, you know I think you know everybody always talks about it and you know drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think Cisco has some fantastic certification tracks, and they even have new newer certification tracks in like cyber ops and whatnot. I've never actually taken that, um, but it looked really intriguing. I came up through the CCNA route, switch and CCNA security. Um, you know, one one of the reasons why I did that was because in security, you know, you, you need to understand how data moves, right? How it traverses a network, how users interact with data, and I think it's important to have, you know, concrete understanding of how networks work mm. and how data moves throughout the world. Uh, and that, and that really provided me that great foundational level of technology information to really help me accelerate my career.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so we have another question here. Uh how much scripting programming la- language knowledge is really needed to give you an edge in cybersecurity?
1: Could be none. Um again, it really comes down to, you know, what is what is your career path? If you want to be So if if, if we kind of really break this down into, you know, what are the pillars of cybersecurity? You generally have your Offensive security, this um, pen testing, things to do with like vulnerability management, threat hunting, um, and then all the other fancy terms and other colors of the rainbow, like red teaming, purple teaming, and all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then you then you have kind of uh, where do you sit? Generally, like corporate security. Um, so this is things like being on a blue team. Uh, understanding how to do security engineering architecture um secops work being an analyst and, and then you, you got really i kind of bucket all of grc together um because okay. it, it's it's very you know by the book it's it's lo- a lot less technical um i don't know many grc specialists who are you know very proficient in scripting they really don't use it in their day to day. So I think it really depends on, you know, what do you want to get out of it? I scripting is really cool. Um, you know, I was a big Python fan coming up through college and, and working early in the industry. Uh, I definitely feel that it helped me understand a lot of security automation cleanup around Active Directory security, which is a huge part of any security. You want to learn security, just learn how an Active Directory works or how it should work, I should say. Um, and and really, so it comes down to what you want to do. If you're more on the offensive side, you want to play around with the hacking tools. Yeah, scripting is fantastic. There's a ton of, um, you know, GitHub, Repos out there and, and code bases already that you can just leverage. But I think you know before you use really any tool, you should have a good sense of what it is and how it works. Um, and that kind of separates you from that you know traditional sense of being a script kitty, just pulling something off the internet, letting it run. Um, you know, you can actually cause damage doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's good to understand what you're doing. It's kind of like driving a car, right? Um, you know, it's it's cool to do, but you kind of need to know how to do it before you get in one, uh, or you could have some You know serious consequences to that so i i would say again how much scripting experience do you need could be none it could be a lot depending on really which which track you want to get into
0: okay no that totally makes sense and i think uh, for the audience here a lot of these guys are going towards the pen uh, pen testing track so like you said it does help if you have some python programming some scripting language to kind of automate some of your process and things that you're doing it might be a benefit to help you, you know, as you're going through like your pen testing. So some of these guys are going through, I know the INE has a program for pen testing, so they're going that direction. So just to kind right. of add on to that.
1: Yeah, I'd say, you know, with that kind of context, um, yeah, scripting is great. Python's pretty synonymous out there. Uh, obviously there's tons of different flavors of, of languages nowadays, but more than anything, uh, learn how to work in Unix or a Linux based distribution Right, learn how to you know run command shell level queries, uh, Windows and also uh, in, in Linux, and then also you know don't forget about PowerShell. Um, you know I know a lot of hackers love to use Linux distros; they're cool, they're sexy. You know you have all different types of flavors, but uh, PowerShell is super powerful, and everyone's pretty much Windows based, um, and it's fantastic when you're doing some you know more internal security work uh powershell is fantastic and obviously you have you know power empire and all these different other types of hacking platforms that you can leverage um so yeah you know again it's it's a journey uh learn learn everything that you can really never stop learning i think that's the the key
0: awesome now i'm gonna send you an article i don't know if you had a chance to i mean as you're going through your day-to-day i'm gonna send you that from the hell it's about the uh the recent uh like the penetrate like the vulnerability or the hack that just happened uh, I'll just send that to you. see if you've you've actually had a chance to read it. What was about the pipeline the
1: yeah, so I haven't actually read this article, but I've been keeping tabs on what's been happening with the pipeline hack and 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 it's it's quite interesting
0: and, and what's your what's your thoughts on it
1: uh, in, in what sense? <laughs>
0: just just like a quick overview as someone is an expert in the field are you like you know is this something that we should be concerned about especially with you know different types of hydroelectricity. you know people controlling kind of this that now these can be compromised and they're starting now become more newsworthy
1: yeah you know it's um i'm a big movie guy so i'll kind of reference a movie here uh and and i think you know the security community craps all over this movie all the time but it's uh Die Hard 4, live free die hard. Uh, there's uh, yeah. there's something about this movie. I, I always just enjoyed it because it was just uh, it was different. It was the first you know Die Hard that really focused on cybersecurity. I thought it was yeah it was cool. You know um, again try not to take these types of movies too seriously because they're you know not true to its core and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know I'd say that you know they they reference fire sales and and, and attacking core you know utility infrastructure. This is this is huge right this is this is critical infrastructure for our entire economy um how we you know live and i think it's something that you know maybe so extrapolated from our day-to-day uh interaction that we take it for granted right, right. so the moment that something like this happens and you know it's you, you see the ripple effect and what, what kind of chaos and panic this can cause right you seen these um Massive uh, shortages at pumps, fueling rage, and people are breaking out into fights. And uh, prices are going through the roof. Short sure, people are actually scared. You know, this is this is this is real world life. Cybersecurity issues. You know, a lot of the types of breaches, you know, happen superficially. Maybe it's like credit card information, and you're like, well, it's insured. You know, how much how much you know uh, damage or impact does it meet to me personally? Uh, I'd say the critical infrastructure attacks are. are have a significant impact not only on an individual level but to an entire country populace right and it's it is scary and these things are being targeted by nation state actors because you know nation state actors they have long-term agendas they're trying to get things that maybe are not as obvious to people they're not trying to do smash and grab type uh ransomware deployments They, they have a purpose and sometimes that purpose is to disrupt a country in some type of fashion for whatever reason, right? They can speculate whether or not it's espionage, they're trying to exfiltrate data for, you know, highly sensitive nuclear uh, plant facilities, uh, new new IP that somebody is releasing uh, in the research uh, R&D department, Uh, could be many things, or they could just want to cripple the economy. Or drive, you know, the dollar down, right? Because there's a ripple effect throughout the entire con- the entire global economy. So, again, when you look at threats and how they persist around, you know, geopolitical, um, it's always a big thing. But I, I think these are going to become more targeted. I, I don't think we're going to see you know, as many of them as, you know, you have general ransomware breaches throughout many organizations, but these are going to be very big breaches. They're going to be very targeted. Uh, and They're going to be for a purpose. And they're generally going to be carried out by, you know, very sophisticated organized crime groups and nation state threat actors.
0: Okay. Yeah. So something that, you know, it's there, right? We see these in the movies, you know, like you, you think about Star Trek, you know, years and years ago when you watch the doors open automatically and they have the tricorders and all that. now you, you know you go to a shopping mall and the doors open automatically for you right it's like oh my god this is awesome right it's kind of that like um, we're starting to see things come to fruition of this you know these, you know, these breaches and that, that you like you said you see in the movies
1: yeah i'm, I'm still waiting for teleportation though uh, i'm really excited <laughs> okay. for that one um <laughs> but you know i i, I do want to make one other reference to the pipeline incident so we we know that it was um you know there there's a ransom paid uh, you know people are uh really against paying ransoms and I'm all for that. right? We, we don't want to pay ransoms. I don't think any company wants to ever pay a ransom. Um, but there's a lot of conversation right now in the industry around do you default and just say you're not going to pay a ransom and have a policy to that or do you bake that into your operational cost of an organization and just say you're going to pay ransoms and you're going to kind of just build a, a pool of funding to offset the, those costs as they come. Um, you know, I think it's a wrong approach. I think every, you know, incident that happens is unique. And there's various different criteria as to why or why not an organization would pay a ransom. So right. I one thing that, you know, I think the cybersecurity industry needs to stop doing is beating up on the cybersecurity industry and cybersecurity leaders and companies who are making decisions, especially in unchartered territories. Right. It's really easy to criticize and judge other companies and and other professionals and what they do. Um, You know, that that that's not really what we should be doing, right. We should be working together, um, you know, maybe taking lessons learned from people's experiences, building off that um, and really trying to be there to help support people. I think there's too much toxicity in the world and people need to stop, you know, drilling into companies who are doing things because, you know, that was probably what they needed to do in their situation. Um, So I would just say, you know, the one kind of prevailing message there is, you know, uh, don't just negate ransomware response, Um, you really need to take it as it comes. Um, It also depends on the size, the timing, um, the impact, there's so many variables, and they cannot be predefined,
0: right? No, it makes sense. I mean, like you said, each each situation's individual, right? And you're, it's case by case. I think that the, the challenge that the industry has is like, you pay them, they're going to think now oh, it's a business and they're going to keep doing it more to make more money. And then it's just a business model that they're going to do. Like I heard, you know, some things about the dark web and all that. Like there's like help desk now for it. Like there's like on the dark web, there's actually, if you want ransomware help desk, you can call and say, Hey, I want a ransomware company X. I don't know how to deploy this, but can you help me? And I don't have a <laughs> cryptocurrency wallet set up. Can you help me do this? And they set you the whole process and then, you know, you run it and then there they go. Right. So I've heard that. I don't know that to, that to be true, but if that's the case and they're setting whole business models around that, you kind of question, should you be, you know, pro, you know, paying them so they can support that.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's it. you're exactly right. It is. It's organized crime, right? It's um like it's they've monetized this and ransomware is so widespread. It's so easy to deploy. Um, You don't even have to develop anything. You can just go buy various wrappers that you want to put around your ransomware so that it doesn't get tripped up by signatures, all sorts of different things. Right. And and obviously the main delivery delivery mechanism is through phishing. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think the industry needs to just do way more around educating effective behavioral change for its users uh, to be more hygienic when it comes to dealing with digital assets and, and just, you know, being more safe and secure online. Uh, you know, we've invested you know, for ye- decades around security technologies, but there's been minimal investment in like the human operating system. and and really trying to drive behavioral change and how humans interact with emails. And, you know, there's it's so lucrative for these adversaries. It's um, it's no wonder they made this into a business model. Right. And and it wouldn't surprise me if there are these, you know, ransomware dark web um, help desk scenarios because it's super easy. You you could just buy wrappers. You can buy different ransomware strains. different loadouts and and all that kind of stuff and just drop into play. They have tutorials, videos, like everything now um, is you can you can just Google it, probably right (laughs) and figure it out that way. Like it's it's not super sophisticated what they're doing. Um, You know, I have been following some of the new uh, waves of what they're trying to do and sophistication. Right. It was previously it was destructive and it tried to become Monetized and and now they're trying to do data exfiltration and and now they're they're going after your backups too, right? So uh, the biggest control for ransomware was you know just make sure you have backups, you have offline backups, you test those backups. Most companies do not test backups. That's a no-no. Um, and and they're actually now attacking the backups themselves um, so that you won't be able to restore, right? And this is obviously. One of our biggest gap controls around cybersecurity ransomware attacks.
0: Wow! Because now is that like a Trojan horse? That are they leaving there like it's backed up? You know, through their you know second month, third month, whatever. And then when they start to kind of reback that up or restore, it now reinitiates the 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 ransomware, and, and then they keep getting attacked over and over again. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of different ways that like we've been seeing some different types of strange attack um, backups. Um, I don't know all the intricate technical details, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, again, these things continue to evolve and evolve. Um, because there are obviously companies that are catching on and figuring out ways that, you know, how to defeat this through good backups. Obviously, uh, great EDR technology is out there, you know, they're not all bulletproof, but, um, you know, you have a great defense posture against ransomware attacks these days. Uh, so it's, you know, it's like a virus, right? And and we talk about COVID, it, um, it mutates, because it needs to survive. And it's the same way in cybersecurity, these column viruses, threat actors, adversaries, whatever you want to call them, their malware, they need to, they need to adapt, they need to mutate, they need to survive. So they're going to evolve, just like how humans evolve. And so I, you know, sophistication is always going to keep coming out. There's going to be new innovation in these threats. Uh, And it's obviously a a challenge we've always had is trying to stay one step ahead of them. Uh, We, you know, the industry always feels like it's 10 steps behind.
0: Right. Wow. Pretty scary. So we've got a couple more questions coming in here. Uh, What was your path to CISO and what would you do differently now? So we heard about you went through the uh, Cisco kind of path. You went through that way. What would you do differently? If you were going to go, like, you know what, going back, if I go back 10, 15 years, what would you do differently?
1: Probably would have started earlier. Um, Other than that, you know, I have no regrets. Um, You know, I had a pretty good outlook on where I wanted to go and how I wanted to get there. And I was pretty true to that path. Uh, You know, did certifications, went to school. Got some great jobs, and you know, look, didn't turn down opportunities. But I think you know, the biggest thing is really just continuous, continuous learning. Uh, you're learning every day. You're reading all the time, watching videos, keeping up with the news. It, you know. But I think the the key thing that I did is actually funny. Um, I wanted to get into cybersecurity. I actually, met a pretty important person who helped me um, kind of shape my path a bit. There's a couple people along the way. One of my professors, Bill Farkas, he was a uh, program coordinator for Internet Communication Technology at a Sheridan College. He uh, really challenged me to just, you know, really explore my my sense of wonder and always try to learn more. And he really, you know, pushed the threshold of you know questioning why things work the way they do. Um, but another person who I met early on in my career was Sean Higgins from the Herjavec group. And okay. I met him through a family friend, uh, and we, we met up in a city where he lives in. I won't disclose the city. Um, and we met up for coffee. And never met the guy, never spoke to him, haven't been in the cybersecurity industry. This is going back, I don't know, probably 13 years now. And you know, I just simply asked him like, so what is one thing that you see that you wish people coming into cybersecurity had a better understanding of um, and, and one of the things was and I referenced it earlier was how does how does data travel right, right. how does a network work uh, if if Bob sends an email to Alice I love those names it's always referenced in all the certification books Bob and Alice um, right. you know if Bob sends an email to Alice and Alice reads it and sends an email back what happens like how, how does that information actually traverse your computer from your keyboard um and go all the way through and you know one of the fantastic things i had about uh bill farkas's program was you know a super in-depth internet um learning so like ccie level type you know for anybody listening the key thing though is to set out your target goals what do you want to achieve and when do you want to achieve it the only other thing I probably recommend is, uh, you know, start listening to some podcasts um, high performance people. They're fantastic to listen to. Uh, they also do really crazy things like wake up at five in the morning and have like cold therapy showers. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's quite for me, but, you know, it, it, it's really interesting. If you look at like some of the most successful people in the world. You know, look at their habits, um, look at what they do. Uh, one of the one of the other key things that I did was you know, I looked at job descriptions of a role I wanted to have in the next, you know, five years. And then I looked at, okay, well, they need all this and I only have these. How do I fill the gap? And then that was kind of like my career path development. And so I guess I just, you know, I had a good plan and, uh, saw it through.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Uh, what are your thoughts on enforcing MTLS? Uh,
1: well, I, you know, I think obviously encryption is, is, is huge. Um, wow. Really putting me back into like my, uh, into my technical days. (laughs) Um, you know, so again, you know, being an extension of of TLS, I think everyone just needs to get to TLS first. Uh, (laughs) you know, there, there is this, uh, gap, one of the common problems with cybersecurity success is always legacy technology. Right. Right. And, and that generally, you know, we see this with, with many things. Um, You know, we have 5g technology, we have, you know, 8k televisions. Now it's like how much 8k content really is there, right? We've had IPv6, but there's not a lot of people leveraging IPv6 and it's been around for like 20 years. Um, So, you know, I'd say that, you know, you know, mutual, TLS, like this mutual authentication, it's, it's, it's good. It, it, I think it eventually needs to get there, but, um, I think companies still need to focus on just some of the other basics. Right? The kind of baseline, um,
0: right.
1: Yeah. It, again, like there's, and we've seen this a lot with, um, moving to office 365. So, um, legacy technology uses, um, you know, it doesn't uh, authenticate with TLS for SMTP relays, right? So, you know, you still have to have on-prem exchange or, you know, SMTP services that, that allow for legacy connections, right? So again, it's, there's a lot of legacy tech out there. Uh, I think e- MTLS is fantastic. I think, you know, all these new technology advancements are fantastic, but I, I don't think it's going to be a very realized uh, thing very, very soon in the industry. Maybe in the next 10 years, it's something that you going to start picking up a lot more traction. Uh, but I definitely do think it it is needed. Um, I just don't think we're really there yet.
0: Okay, perfect. Uh, work from home creates another point of failure. Uh, what have you done to combat that? Um,
1: is that a question that came in from the audience? I have yeah, kind, of, yes it is. <laughs> kind of, kind of curious as to the uh, context to it, like a point of failure. And in which regard
0: right? I'm, I'm wondering that, if they're thinking, because what happens is a lot of the infrastructures have like com- corporations have all their, their endpoint, they're monitoring all internal. Right. And now they're at home on their own internet, on their own modem, you know, and then now they're going through VPN they have. Bob, John, Alice, Fred—all on the network, right? Some of them playing video games, some going to sites. Maybe they shouldn't be, right? Yeah. All yeah. on the home network, right? So now your point of failure is this now home office that you don't, might not have control over.
1: Yeah, so it's scary, right? When you're yeah. when you're in charge of a security program and there's a paradigm shift in how you operate, it's a very sudden reality slap in the face of oh wow we need to figure this out like a year ago um you know i'd say that absolutely it is a huge risk for most companies um you know there's certain things that organizations have really pressed security groups on, on we just need to make it happen. Um, and that's really where that agility comes in. You know, do you have the right governance structures to be able to evaluate your risks um, and then also keep up with the user experience? So, you know, I think there's a lot of transitional issues around, uh, you know, this, this new remote workforce and it's, it's hard, it's, it's hard, it's not easy. At all, a lot of what security is doing these days is 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 challenging, and I don't think people are talking about it enough. But I think it's doable, right? And I think that absolutely, there's there's many points of failure of people working remotely, right? If you have um, a, a suburb power outage, you have again when I referred to uh, internet infrastructure from telecommunication companies, like they weren't designed to support rural areas having you know everybody having a gig. At their house and streaming YouTube all day, right? Kids are at home; they're doing remote learning. Um, so this also not only impedes, you know, productivity. It also impedes uh, infrastructure access, uh, work efficiency. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things there. But then it also introduces new points of failure around cybersecurity right do you have somebody who is now having more laxadaisical security practice at home because they're not in an office right so th- there's this psych- there's a psychological element of when you go to an office you know you dress for the office um, you just have a different mindset right there's mm-hmm. uh, the core traditional elements of an office you have your four walls uh, you have your different maybe you have cybersecurity posters everywhere you know so I think that the paradigm of working at home, you know, maybe not dressing for the park because you don't have to be on camera all day or in front of people. Uh, It really changes people's psyche and how they treat their behavior. So, again, that was one of the other elements that I really stress to all security professionals is you have to help our users go through this. Right. This is a whole new world we're navigating. And, you know, when you have a certain behavior at an office, you know, the one the one way to really affect positive behavioral change at lasts is to impact that outside of the office. Right. So right. if I get you for eight hours a day and I teach you about cybersecurity at the office, that's one thing. When you go home, you forget all that and you do everything else you want to do. You want to click on all that clickbait on Facebook or wherever you want to click on it. Um, so be it. Uh, however, we need to really start focusing in on, well, how do you get them to you know, take those those practices that you taught in the office at home? Um, and and you have kids at at your house now, and maybe they're they're jumping on your computer. So again, now you're introducing more security risks. Um, So I I definitely think it is a challenge. I think organizations really need to start focusing more on their people. Uh, It's not necessarily a technology problem to solve. There's a ton of tech out there. Everybody's getting into the market for remote access security. Um, Seen a lot of security acquisitions. Last year, this year, some big ones. You know, of people really focusing in on these portfolio gaps that they did not have around this remote access capability uh, for security. So, it's um, it's not easy, but it's it is doable. And I think that if people start focusing more on their people and securing their people, they're going to have a better uh, chance for success.
0: Nice. Okay. Perfect. Uh, any tips on uh, move into management from the technical perspective?
1: Yeah. Um, ha- here's a couple things, right? Um, so I'm a very open, honest, transparent, transparent person. So whenever I, you know, had a relationship with my boss, you know, I told them exactly what I wanted, right? I, this is where I want to go. Um, now, sometimes that's intimidating for somebody, right? If they're, uh, you know, because obviously where you want to go is likely probably their job um so i i, I say I tread with caution um but you know i think that you really have to have a plan of where you management one of the key things that i referenced earlier was you know, look at look at that job description right what is it um and, and don't just look at the experience because obviously years of experience, you know, can only be achieved through years of experience. Um, You know, I'd say look at companies that give you the opportunity um, to do so. So smaller companies don't have a lot of vertical movement. So if you're looking for more accelerated growth, probably not there, Uh, if you're looking at large organizations that have, you know, hierarchical ladders to keep climbing, such as banks or insurance companies, um, you know, you definitely have a lot more upward mobility there. Um, So, again, you know, there's some things that you have to kind of be mindful of of your situation. Of where your company is at, um, but I think there's a lot of really great lessons um, and videos online to really help you with management. Um, take initiative, right? Um, you know, if if you don't have a career plan at work, I say develop one. Um, you know, where where do you want to go? What are the certifications you have? What are you good at? But then, what are you not good at? Right? Um, mm. Generally, if you're if you're going from tech to management, you're maybe not as good at in the soft skills of of the job or maybe you just don't have the experience of managing people um or doing whatever you need to do right so i would say you want to try to elevate yourself um take initiative right that's that's what managers have to do right it's um a, the initiative of don't wait for somebody to solve your problem right is is go find the solution to a problem um and 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 just be helpful that way and then i i'd say there's this um You know, there's great groups out there, too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Go do a talk. You know, uh, Toastmasters is a great program. I think anybody getting into management or somebody who runs meetings and whatnot uh, should be a part of groups like that where you get to do public speaking uh, because as a manager, you need to have effective communication skills. Uh, You know, and I also talk to your company that you're working with. Uh, Generally, bigger companies have leadership leadership uh, tracks in their company. So they have internal uh, employee training, even though you, some of them are generally meant for the managers themselves or directors or leadership. Uh, you know, maybe talk to your HR company or your, your HR program at the, at the company and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in getting into the management track. Uh, can I be a part of this you know management program that you have at the company uh and again i think the, the key thing is really trying to roadmap out you know where you want to go and how do you want to get there and what are some key milestones that you need to achieve so again working with your boss uh is always a great great way of doing that uh but you can always you know check out ted talks youtube i think there's some fantastic material out there and maybe even just try practicing you know on friends family uh, you know let them be yeah. your guinea pigs uh you know there's always there's always a way.
0: Awesome. No, that's good. That's good tips. I mean, I think a lot of times when the technical guys, like you said, it's one one key point is the communication it's to be able to communicate, not at a technical level at a basic level so that the person across the table can understand you. Right. Sometimes I find with technical people, you know, working on both sides of the fence for, for myself, when you're going technical, sometimes you go so deep that the people across the table that are HR, finance, whatever that may be, kind of go. I don't get it. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like, how does it relate to my role? How does it relate to what I'm doing? And making sure yeah. you can communicate that in their language, in their terms. And, like you said, Toastmasters, things like that could help you kind of, you know, with your soft skills of communication and collaboration. Uh, one thing I always recommend people learn negotiation. Uh, Chris Voss has a great course, right? You learn how to negotiate, right? And, and empathically and connect with the person that you're talking to so you can collaborate with them. And right? because a lot of times when you're going, you're trying to, educate someone on what you think they need, but you're not collaborating. You need a firewall. You need endpoint protection. You need, you need on the technical. And you're like, it's Gardner's top. It's got this, you know, high technology. You need it. But they're kind of going, but why? How has it served the business? And sometimes you get in this conflict and you're not really realizing it, that, that you have to speak in their business terms to relate to the technical terms to be able to get to move forward, right? So I find that sometimes is a communication uh difference when it comes to the technical people coming up technicals they they know a lot of great information but they don't know how to speak in a business term that the person in the boardroom on the table kind of go ah i get it okay that's why we're doing it
1: yeah and i think that's such a hard skill to be honest with you it's so hard when you're so ingrained in technology and you know it's it's great that you are and it's fantastic all the wealth of knowledge you have but really trying to break that down for somebody else and that's why i said engage your family right um talk to your partner talk to your sibling your parent or somebody random try and teach them about that technology and somebody who has no experience in it just try and teach them and, and it'll help you really try and know make make your communication more layman for them to understand what you're really trying to get at but you know another great point that you raised is you have to understand what the business needs so you're we're talking about certifications and all this kind of stuff go watch a youtube video on finance 101 or something or take a pmp course right project management um you know it's it's these skills these elements you have to learn elements of the business to be able to really engage with the business um you know we can always say at gartner top 10 oh you just need this because it's well you need it and like we know you need it but if you can't articulate why you need it, and that's why i always feel like security is like sales you need to you need to sell not only you but the program itself and everybody is always like yeah security is always an uphill battle it's always a you know you got to talk in terms of the business but no one really elaborates on like what that even means right it's uh and then everyone's like oh just you know talk in terms of risk and then but people start using the term risk very loosely and they don't even understand what that really means right so if you're really looking at it
0: i think the one term one challenge of that is if you start using risk too much people will get numb to it ah it's not that bad of a risk you always talk risk in the boardroom this is just another risk thing you're talking about but not understanding the true business impact then they kind of go ah you know, Mike's coming in the boardroom. Yeah, we're going to hear about risk again. We're at risk at something, right? <laughs> but I yeah. think is when you can understand the person and what their job role is and how they serve the business and then talk about how it affects them in that risk, then now it draws out a picture for them.
1: Yeah. and And the other tactic is selling through fear. Don't do that. No one likes that. Oh, we're going to get breached. It's going to be millions of dollars. And, you know, if you really look at it, like how do you quantify risk or elevate risk to a level through, you know, enterprise risk management function, you really got to categorize it, right? We categorize it into like eight different factions because each individual risk of each project, you know, you have thousands of risks, right? But uh, how do you really elevate that um, into something that's more quantifiable or tangible? And, and, And again, really, it comes down to stop selling fear, people. (laughs) Like you. You know, pushing fear. uh, It's not the way to go about it. Start pushing enablement. Right. How do you get the business to succeed? Right. Uh, A great a great way to look at that is, um, you know, what's becoming more and more mainstream. And and this is something that I was I, I called out probably five years ago now is that by around 2020 security programs are going to be a mainstream requirement for business to do business uh, to win contracts. People are now going to start including cybersecurity programs where you're at, um, you know, your SOC 2 reports or whatever the case is uh, in the procurement process. Mm -hmm. And businesses' decisions are going to be made based on are you an adequate vendor to protect my data or our customers' data? Um, so if you can you know, articulate the way in which the cybersecurity investment is not a sunk cost, as many people view it as, it's, it's not just an insurance policy, it's not just a defensive mechanism. It allows you and enables you to potentially win more business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. I know uh, the previous company I worked for, uh, we were just talking to a a client and they were looking at doing SOC 2 Type 2 and it was an influence by a client they just signed on, right? And the client they just signed on was saying, okay, we would like you to be the standard, right? And again, like you're saying for business relationships, a lot of these times their mandate now is to do that so they can work with their partners or clients right especially when smaller to larger organizations i see that a lot absolutely right um okay we got one last question i work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses at what size do you think an organization would need a dedicated security staff or team
1: interesting question um it definitely so again so many variables uh, I wish there was more silver bullets uh, <laughs> just but but here's here's actually the thing right security programs there's no two un, uh, no two alike security programs every security program is is unique because every company is is pretty unique um, they all have different purposes there's different people and leadership so there's different risk tolerance um, I say, you know, I work with a lot of startup companies, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, out of the gate, you know, and and, and, and Brendan, you, you might know this as well, right? It's so services are fantastic for smaller companies who maybe don't have dedicated staff, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or people who can subscribe to fractional service uh, offerings. Um, you know, I'd say it depends on your your industry vertical as well. Uh, how sensitive is the information you manage um, is another big player into that. I don't think there's really a right answer or a certain critical threshold. I think if if you're in a company and you're working there and you think that you need a security person, it's probably time that there likely needs to be a security person i, I know that most companies you know uh smaller companies that are coming up through it's, it's it's somebody who works in networking on the on the service desk or wearing many hats the many hat person i was a many hat person i wore many hats i know you know general it infrastructure uh server management help desk networking uh but i, I feel like that all helped me be a better security professional because i understood all the elements that i needed to ultimately secure so I don't think there's a silver bullet here on the answer, but I think that you know, for small businesses, security really is not going to be top of mind for them, right? They're probably not even looking at compliance unless it's really a PCI compliant element. And then really you're you're just outsourcing that through like a Moneris or some type of you know POS uh, company. Um so again, small businesses, yeah, there's probably not a big market for. You know a, a large bench of full-time security employees uh, you might have one if you're lucky depending on industry medium-sized business you know yeah you start getting up into there um you know i think that again as over the next 10 years security programs are going to have a bit of a different light in organizations and it's going to allow for companies to really understand that you know it takes a village to really secure a company right if you're, if you're looking um you know, there's always that benchmark of how much, how much budgets or cybersecurity have? Well, it's a percentage of IT. And well, you know, that that's if you're looking at it purely as a technology play,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: If there's other elements to it, you know, the risk quantification and, and and qualifications that you have to do throughout the entire business. If you're positioning, you know, security as a business issue and a business risk, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different equation. So again, there, there's no right or wrong answer, but I think, um, Every medium sized business and plus should definitely have uh dedicated cybersecurity staff, but definitely some of these smaller businesses can leverage you know, VC, so fractional type services. Um, there's a ton of great vendor providers out there who can help uh, at a minimum. They should definitely be ha- you know, leveraging managed services for visibility of some kind, whether that be on an EDR or SimSoc platform. And, and you have somebody maybe who is aware of how to really address that. Um, At the small business level, they might not be a dedicated security professional, but maybe they're in the network team or something along those lines Mm -hmm. It really comes down to risk and impact right and the cost of it all so It's different for every company
0: and one thing I'd add to that is that if you have the guy that has many hats You know as an organization if you're a manager and you manage that person get them some training in cybersecurity Right? Don't let it just kind of like they figured it out they YouTube did and they kind of they're trying to put it together. Get them some training on governance, get them some training on security policies and procedures and you know business impact analysis, disaster recovery so that you have some formal processes in place. It's just not makeshift bandage kind of thing because if they're doing everything, at least they kind of look at it that way as well. So they kind of look at all the governance and the policy for the company as well as the technical controls, which are probably they're well versed on so they can match them up and cover the business security, both on the administrative controls as well as the technical controls, right? And I find that a lot of times when you get the technical guys really good at learning about firewalls, learning about endpoint and antivirus and malware and kind of doing that, but then what's the acceptable use policy, right? That combines that, what's the disaster recovery that you know, marries that, you know, what's the business impact analysis? And they go, I don't know, I don't have one. You kind of go, okay, well, maybe that's stuff you should start working on. So. If you have that guy that wears many hats, try to get them some of that training, right? Because then they'll they'll give more value to the business.
1: Fully, fully agree with that.
0: All right, and I, I just find like when we're talking to people, you got a lot of these great technical guys, and you're like, you're hearing them, and they're going, "Yeah, I've secured the network, I've got the firewall, I've got everything set up," and you're like, "Great, what's your policies around that, huh? <laughs> what t- what administrative controls? Uh, I set it up, I got the firewall rules, and I got everything set up." Okay, but do you have any acceptable use policies? What they cannot do? No, no. I guess they have an employment agreement. And they're like, okay, you got to know that as well. If you're going to be the security guy, the guy for the organization, you kind of have to look and review that. So go and ask. Go and, and if there's not, then you know start to implement that. That's part of your role. And then you do that and you provide more value to the organization. So I think that's one one of the important things. Now, Mike, we come up on the out on the hour. Anything you want to add? Any any kind of 10 bits advice you want to give people that are watching? I think we I think we froze there for a second. Did you hear me?
1: No, I did not. I, I think it just came back now.
0: Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, is there any? So we're up on the hour. Is there any advice oh. recommendation you have for anyone watching right now?
1: Uh, yeah keep learning yeah.
0: and you're- I think we froze there for a second.
1: Yeah, sorry. I seem to be having some weird uh connection issues. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd say just, you know, any recommendation don't just focus on cybersecurity. Learn about other things, right? Learn about leadership, learn about, you know, sales, learn about negotiation. There's so many other key skills that you can learn that will really help advance your cybersecurity career.
0: Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a caveat there because I came from a sales position, no longer with that company. Learn how to properly sell, right? One of the hard things that sales guys have is the harassment. Now, Mike, I'm gonna ask you as, as a previous sales guy, Right? i right, I'm gonna put this out there. Sales guys are trained to harass, to call, to pressure. You know, when do we get in a meeting? When can I do that? As someone that's a CISO like yourself, how's that come across?
1: It's irritating. Um, you know, I know everybody's got a job to do, but like my LinkedIn and anybody watching who's a salesperson trying to hit me up on LinkedIn, I I have like over a thousand unread messages. Like I just get bombarded and like there's probably people in there who actually want to talk to me and I want to talk to them. Um, but I, I get vendor product pitches all day long. And you know, as somebody who you know, I'm a technologist at heart. I love tech. I love going to RSA conference because they have this like cool innovation sandbox where all these new up and coming startup companies are there. I love exploring the expo hall, uh, you know, running through all the different technologies, taking demos and stuff like that. Um, I don't need someone messaging me, uh, telling me about their awesome product is likely not going to get my business because i already either know about your technology product i already have a technology strategy with my team um like the the odds of of getting a win on a cold email or call probably slim but i get it, it you know companies are just that's their that's their strategy i see some pretty innovative things too but yeah the harassment stuff um you know it's it's like the pestering and then like are you there like oh, you should just respond to me so i get i get hundreds of emails a day I don't have time to respond to every single email. Um, you know, there's other priority things. So people messaging me and emailing me takes away from my ability to deliver my day-to-day priorities um, is a distraction. So, you know, I'd say, you know, sell right <laughs> because it, and it's hard to right? It's it's really hard. And sometimes the best way to sell is through a connection. Right, right. And, and I love vendors who reach out to uh, well established relationship connections that I have with other vendors and say, hey, would you be willing to make an introduction? And then I get a, a ping from that vendor saying, hey, you know, so and so from this company, they'd like to talk to you about their product. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, somebody's you know, respectable about the approach. Yeah. Sometimes I'll take the, I'll take the meeting, you know, I'll check it out um, or I'll, I like to see what's going on in the industry. Um, but I'm pretty open and upfront as to like what my intentions are uh, mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than leading on a salesperson either because then they're never going to go away. Um, but yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's the training. The training is to yeah. hunt you down until you either say one, yes, I'll take the meeting or two screw off. Like that's the sales training and, and it's so, me like that's why I didn't I don't do well in sales and I'll be honest with you, I'll throw that right out there I don't do well in sales because I want to build up a relationship and rapport with someone and I hate harassing someone because to me why do that you're just annoying someone right and that's a pet peeve for, for me if you're going to sell for me it's about relationship building and understanding if they're if they're ready the person like say you're Mike if you're like hey you know what Brendan I want to buy x I know you do that let's talk perfect right? And I'm going to tell you kind of, that's what we do. And just kind of let you go. And just when the time is right, you'll tell me versus, are you ready now, Mike? Hey, what about next week? Can we meet next week? What about this? What about this? And then you're just like, okay, stop calling me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's, there's definitely some, some companies in the industry that that's, that's their, they're very bullish in their sales tactics and it doesn't work well for me. And and I'm, I too am a big relationship uh, fan, you know, cause I, I can buy technology from anywhere. I can buy services from everywhere, but I'd rather work with somebody who I feel I can trust and somebody who I feel has my best interest at heart for our company. Mm -hmm. Right. It all comes down to trust. Security is built on trust regardless of any, any, any pillar of security is all about trust. Right. Right. And, you know, I think it's important that you have a good working relationship with your vendors, um, and, you, and also your managed service providers, too many people bully their managed service providers or use them as like a scapegoat of, oh, well, you know, they didn't do this. And it was like, well, you didn't set them up for success, right? So you're actually in the wrong. And you see that a lot in SOC managed services. Uh, and it's and it's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, trust is a big thing. Relationships and, and proper sales are very key.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys, everyone that's watching, got a lot of value, got your questions answered. Mike, I'm just going to drop you into the lobby and just finish this off. Yeah,
1: cool. Thanks for having me, Brandon.
0: Awesome, guys. I hope you learned a lot. Uh, it was amazing to have Mike here and just talk about cybersecurity, the industry, education, his thoughts from a top level. Like this is someone that's an expert in the field to be able to learn from on your direction, your path, what you should be looking for your career, and then just kind of what's going on in the industry. So make sure you take this, these notes, you actually go start to apply them today. Look at resumes, look at the jobs you want to do. Like Mike was saying, work your way back, reverse engineer it. You know, what do I have? What do I need work your way and start working through the cyber, uh, cybersecurity career, because we all know and everything we're talking about, there's no shortage of, of need of good experts out in the field. Just build out your expertise, get out there and start helping people really protect themselves. So that's it for today's Daily Cyber. Don't forget, software is hackable, being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.